Taylor Swift, the one and only, has won big at the Billboard Music Awards, picking up 10 prizes, including the coveted trophies for top artist and top selling song for the hit Anti Hero. Well, this is unreal, said the star. Billboard bases everything off what you are listening to and what you are passionate about, and acknowledge her Swifties for thanking them for supporting all her endeavours. Oh, I love the song. I just love it. Uh, she was awarded the most fee awarded. She's the most awarded female of the night, and her ten ten wins tied Drake's record to be the most awarded artist in Billboard Music Awards history. Uh, now, interestingly, uh, Taylor Swift rounds out the top 25 of list of highest certified music artists in the US by the Recording Industry Association of America. Now, the Beatles rank number one. Number three is Elvis Presley. And guess who's number two? Not you too. It's Garth Brooks. <laughs> I, have, I've never, I haven't heard a Garth Brooks song. Haven't you? No. Yeah, you're not listening to what? much American country? Never, yeah. heard, never heard a Garth Brooks song. Oh, I would should have I, you're a big country fan. I, I am, but should I play a song tomorrow? Maybe I have to sort of play a, uh, a Garth Brooks song tomorrow. Anyway, uh, some wonderful feedback coming through. Uh, any money for Tom Waits, says oh, Celine. Yeah. Yep. Um, Stephen says, uh, here, yep, I was right. I paid $700 to see Barbara Streisand in Sydney 2000, and those were the second cheapest seats. Oh. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, Yo-Yo Ma... At any cost, says Ellie. So a big uh, classical fan there. Uh, Pink Floyd, no contest. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, look, um, coming back, just a little bit of feedback here for uh, Amy Hines, I've been thinking. Uh, libraries are in the nice-to-have category when talking about uh, you know what we need for a strong local governance. Uh, libraries are essential to the democratisation of knowledge. They provide safe spaces for after school whose, for kids whose parents are working in the elderly and mentally divergent. They are essential. James says the library is one of the greatest things in Western civilization. This is an awful concept from your guest. So Amy, sorry <laughs> on your first time to be super slammed by our listeners. I just thought I'd let you know that that's it's fine, a, that's fine. I mean, I'm a big library fan myself. You know, I do actually like and enjoy libraries. You've been to son. one? You've been to one? Oh, loads. I spent my childhood just reading books in mm. libraries on the weekends. I do understand, understand it. I think the thing here is, is that we've got to have, if we want a councils that can afford things, and if we think a library is the key part, then we need to hold them accountable for the other core infrastructure and how they spend our money. Good on you. Fair enough. Yep. All right, well, we'll come back to that. Uh, now to this. Queensgate Mall in Wellington is to reinstate its sensory Santa sessions after complaints from parents. Parents of neurodiverse children with sensory and disability issues say they were gutted when they were set to be cancelled with no Explanation, but there is a um, sol- there's been a bit of a um, turnaround on this. And with us to discuss, we have Annette Campbell Orpen, who's the mother of a child with autism, and was told via Facebook by the shopping centre social media team. Well, actually, I'll let Annette tell us. Annette, welcome to the program. Kia ora. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on, Annette. It's a really important issue, this one, I reckon. Firstly, before we get to the solution, how did it feel when you first heard? the sessions had indeed been axed. 
I was disappointed. I was really disappointed. Um, because they're, they had been going for so long, and right. I know how important they are to two families with neurodivergent kids and disabled kids, and even our, our neurodivergent adults as well, who, you know, standing in the line with other people, they're looking at you going, you're an adult, why are you here? Having those sensory times just meant there was inclusion. There was that um, sense of normalcy that, you know, neurotypical peers of, of, of autistic people um, get naturally and it's almost like a rite of passage so to hear that they were cancelling it I, I was i was upset i was gutted and the fact that there was no explanation at first as to why really it was really disappointing but before we go to uh, bring our panel and just an explainer for those who don't know what this uh these sensory sessions sessions are what exactly are they okay so sensory sessions are um a lot of places do them now, but what they are is they're a time put aside where um, those who have um, who are autistic or may have some kind of disability or illness, um, where sensory overload may happen. So I'm talking about things like they'll have the lights dimmed, they'll have no music or minimal music, oh. there'll be no PA, um, there'll be um, not a lot of foot traffic or minimal foot traffic. Aisles will be cleared. Basically, they, they, they take it all back to the bare minimum so that a person who is autistic or may have some neurodivergency can go in and feel comfortable and safe and do like the grocery shopping without having to worry about um, you know, the flickering lights above, I can hear them, I can feel them, I can, oh. I can see the flicker, or I can smell that person walking past, I can, I can hear the rustling of their clothing, or I can smell the donuts cooking as well as the muffins cooking in the other cafe. So it's really pulling everything back and making it as sensory-friendly as possible. Gosh, that, that's, you explain that so well, and, and uh, there is so much to think about. I never really actually realised that. Simon Pound. Oh, and it is so wonderful that they brought it back as those sessions. Which even, is the good news bit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fantastic because even, you know, the supermarket times where they have what they call quiet hours at the supermarket uh, to, to achieve a similar thing are a lovely time to be in the supermarket. Although I hadn't heard the term sensory centre before and it kind of conjures up the opposite doesn't it like a centre that's a little bit too touchy or <laughs> like you had to yeah, okay. smelly or fair, fair point Simon fair point mm. I guess uh, stay there stay there and Amy yep. yep I think these are great I think anything we can do to cater to kids or even their parents right because we've still also got parents who are neurodiverse themselves and have to and we're going to take their kids along to see Santa I, I think it's really good and I think it's really good to see an organisation who's embraced the feedback really quickly and understood how important this is and you know others should think about it I'm, I'm not sure if anywhere else in the country does it in it but I think it's a really great um, thing to do Yeah I do know of um Two other places in the Wellington region, so North City Plaza, have a sensory centre session, and Coastlands also have a sensory sensory centre session. And I only found that once found that out once I um, had gone to our local community page and said, "Hey, Queensgate's not having one. Does anyone know where there are any?" So I can tell my parents and families at Spectrum Playgroup or 
um, or, or if there's an alternative or if someone can come mm. up with an alternative. So, yeah, knowing that there are others out there is fantastic. So, yeah, this is a reminder maybe for other malls or uh, retail areas to do provide these sensory sessions because you've, you've spoken so well on what they mean. And just finally, before we leave you, um, your, your child with autism, uh, who has autism, um, uh, happy to be back being able to uh, visit Santa and such like. He has told me he doesn't want to go, and that is fine. Yep. But I'm happy that other families get to go and have that experience and have that that special moment. Um, I've been told that the sessions are only five minutes long as opposed to, I think, it was 10, 15 last time. Right. But, hey, we've got one day back. One day's better than yeah. no day and no time for our kids to see, feel comfortable to see Santa. and. I, I just think it's fantastic. I know a lot of my friends and a lot of the parents from the playgroup I help out at have already booked their sessions. So if there are spaces, let's fill it up so hopefully we can get another day next year. Oh, I just love it, uh, Annette. Well, we'll keep in touch with you and see if that happens. But for now, though, uh, yeah. uh, all the best to the Christmas season. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Annette Campbell-Orpen there, uh, uh, who was told via Facebook by the Shopping Centre's social media team that... They weren't going to happen. These these sensory uh, Santa sessions, but now they are. Good news, eh? Uh, it is um, six, fifteen to five. The the panel are NZ National. We have Simon Pound and Amy Hines this afternoon. This really interested me. Oh, here's one: a Johnsonville Moor in Wellington. They also have a sensory slot. One simple trick to save millions of litres of water. This from a piece in the spin-off. And I thought, well, I read it and I thought, genius, why is nobody talking about the water that is wasted in our toilets? There have been numerous issues, have there not, this year, about our leaking waste water. Wellington especially. But the toilets, a full flush can trigger up to seven litres for a single flush. Now, Sunday just gone was UN World Toilet Day, highlighting sanitation and water issues. Now, Jules Older, he wrote a piece, as I said, in this spin-off about it just a couple of days ago. Jules was named an Occam creator for 2022. He's a writer, he's an author, background in behavioural science. Jules, welcome to the programme. I thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you on, Jules. So, tell us more about our water waste. Were you on the toilet and thought, this is just ridiculous. I've got to write a piece about this. It's actually one of those things, God, I'm glad to say, no, I wasn't on the toilet when I thought of that. It's one of those things where I have the advantage, as you may have guessed from my accent, of being an insider-outsider. Mm. So in New Zealand, I see things that are missed by people who grew up here. And if you came to, say, San Francisco, where I last lived, you would see things that I missed. Right. And one of the things that I see uh, and have seen for some time now is that while I think that the dual flush system that New Zealand has is great, and I fully support it, many of the buttons that we push are indistinguishable from one another. And if it's hard for me, who's lived here many years off and on, it's impossible for 
say, the 1.1 million tourists that we had last year coming from handle countries where you just, you don't have a choice, you just push the handle and flush. So if we got it clear, this very tiny little thing that doesn't involve raising any lakes or anything, we would save an actual gazillion liters of water. Well, I couldn't agree more, and I why I bought you on because I'm shocked. And it's actually, uh, Jules, it's not the tourists that get confused by the two buttons on the toilet. I don't know what button to push, and I never have. And I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand. What button do you push? What do these? And here you, uh, from San Francisco, you come along and say, much of the world actually has a little handle. Is that what they do overseas? <laughs> Well, the, the New Zealand way is better than the handle because it really gives us that choice of, oh. of of choosing to have little water or more water, whereas the handle doesn't. But I have to say that in both England and the United States, the, the toilets are getting better there, too. They're aware of this problem. But ours is such an easy fix. Here's, here's my scenario. Yeah. The prime minister once he figures out who's doing what, calls together the toilet executives of New Zealand, says, meet me at the Beehive next week, 1 o'clock. And they all show up, and he says, we have a problem here. It's fixable. Here on the screen you see handles that um, flushes that are easy to distinguish because we have them. Go back to your work. Figure out how to get all of our flushes looking like this in one way or another, then come back to me. And by the way, the full flush is always going to be on the right, the half on the left. Nice. See, see you in a month. With the solution, New Zealand will thank you, and then the rest of the world says, you Jules, see, will thank us. You see, Amy, let's bring Amy in, because uh, Amy's been in politics. This is great. I mean, this is a great policy, isn't it? It's almost like akin to um, Winston Peters' gold card. It's easy to it's easy to understand. You've you've got the full flush on the right. You've got the small flush on the left. Amy, you'll be on, all on board with this. Look, I've never thought about a flush button more than today. I had to run to the bathroom to go have a look what yeah. they're like at work and try and remember one at home. But look, I think this is there to say where regulation could be good. I probably there's something in this in some standards around plumbing that all of them have to be replaced at some stage. Right. But I think you know if the ACT Party gets their minister of regulation, and I know that you know they're trying to get rid of some regulation. Surely to be in that remit, right? You know, we've got a minister of regulation there. Put it, put it as their priority. Yeah. Stay there, Jules. Let's bring Simon. And by the way, better response on this. I agree about the confusing dual flush buttons. There's been no consensus on <laughs> on how to know which is which, and there's no national standards, so we all know which is which. Says Mary from Hamilton. I've lived here all my life. Says Mary Simon. But Jules, you made the point well in the story through the pictures of all the ones that have the same shaped squares and are pretty complicated to work out. Pretty yeah. simple design problem, right? Like make one bigger than the other, and uh, off, yeah. off you go. I, I think like there's a whole bunch of these things where we'll look back at it and we'll go. What, what were we doing still building houses today without mandating that every single one of them had a, you, you know, a tank and used grey water? And what were we doing not making mm. sure that everything had solar? And what, what are we doing, you, you, you know, not having things like um, battery storage at the house can mean that you can then spread the load over the day. And just little things like that could make such a huge impact on the infrastructure costs that everyone holds. My little bugbear is I reckon it should be good to have, um, if anyone's got a, a, a dripping tap or a leak going on, 
then Watercare should be sending people out for free to fix it up. As people just sit there and watch these things yeah. drip away. Yeah. So Huge finally, waste. George, just on a sort of brief note before we leave you, uh, the big issue is here: uh, the uh, possible water wastage is actually, frankly, quite enormous. Oh, it's vast. And if you think of all the, you know, the, the callers are coming in with what I suspected that it's not just tourists, it's New Zealanders too. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a huge saving, that, and the beauty of it for me is it costs essentially nothing. There is a redesign, and when from that day on, all toilets are cool. I think it's a brilliant piece, Jules, and I think you've hit on something about sort of readdressing our uh, two-button toilet system. Um, go well, and thanks for writing it. Love it. And thank you. Winston uh, Peters can follow up his gold card with a yellow and brown card, and we're off. <laughs> nice one, Simon. And sort out what Jules has pointed out. I mean, Aucklanders get to flush more litres than the rest of us. Why yeah. is that about? Well, that's that, that's probably a follow-up, isn't it, Amy? Some standardisation That's a yeah. really good yeah. point. Um, plumbers just love modern toilets, flushes. Not enough water to keep the pipes flowing. They get called out to schools every second day because the system is locked. In the end, the same amount of water is used as the only way the pipes can be unblocked is to put heaps of water down those toilets. So uh, very interesting stuff, though. Two jewels. Thank you for that. Finally... On the panel with Amy Hines and Simon Pound, the latest issue, uh, the latest series rather, of The Crown has been making waves and has set tongues wagging. You've seen the images on the television. Diana gave people what they needed. All over the world, in their thousands. And they adored her for it. Well, the focus this time round is on Diana or Elizabeth uh, de Bicchi's last summer in the south of France and in Paris with Dodi Fayed, played by Khalid Abdullah. With us is Associate Professor Gazelle Bastien, College of Humanities, Arts and Social Sciences at Flinders University, Adelaide. Dr Bastien, welcome to the panel here in New Zealand. Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure because I got you on because, I, frankly, I can say, and I think um, I, I addressed it first up, and I agree with you that it used to be the bastion of quality writing, quality acting, and quality production. Millions, including myself, were addicted. Gazelle, what the hell happened? <laughs> well, I think what happened was that Peter Morgan, the show's creator, and primary writer has just started to run out of ideas and 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 i think it's not that the royal family got less interesting in more recent decades Uh it's more that it's the story is very familiar to us for many of us can remember exactly where we were when we found out that diana had died and so there's that familiarity that takes some of the edge off the fascination of the show but it's also i think peter morgan's just um, become tired with his own format. It's uh, he he just hasn't been able to weave a really rich narrative around the public and private roles of the of the institution, the royal institution, and so he's just sort of defaulted to doing a bit of a weak soap opera. Storyline, and, and I think it's a shame. Yeah, I think it's a shame too because I was such a fan. As and Amy, I don't know if you were a fan of The Crown or are a Huge fan. Huge fan. Yeah, same. Huge fan. Yeah. So, what, what's your question then? 
Oh, look, I think it's right about the fact that we're probably too close to this part in the history compared to the mm. other other times. And I think it's really right. I mean, I can remember my British next-door neighbour running into my house to my mother bawling in tears when Diana drive, died and sitting there watching BBC. Mm. Um, I think it is we're too close. And I think actually at some stage maybe it is good that he has a bit of a separation and there is a bit of mystery about what happened. But then on the flip side, I think we're actually really hungry to actually know the inside detail and because we don't have it yet and we probably won't ever get it around what happens there, we're a little bit disappointed about it potentially. Gazelle? Well I think um, in terms of knowing what really went on I think Peter Morgan has been wise to stay away from getting into any of the conspiracy theories around the actual death of the princess uh, and so he's, he's, he's played it very safe mm. And he's just stuck to the domestic storyline of her, of, of Diana's private life, and of course Charles's um, uh, relationship with Camilla. And it's as if um, he's he's playing it so safe that he hasn't even decided to use the Prime Minister of the day, Tony Blair, in as part of the story, which he's done in other seasons. Where right. He's always yes. Had the Queen counterpointed by her Prime Minister of the day, and so because he's already done that. In 2006, in the Stephen Frears directed film *The uh, The Queen*, it's as if Peter Morgan had cut off his own storyline because uh, he's already done it really well in that film, that 2006 film. So he he left himself with not enough material for *The Crown*. Okay, Simon, Amy's a fan. I'm a fan. Are you a fan? Yeah, I, th- I think the point that you make that you know it's so familiar, it's hard for it to be interesting, is really fair. I loved the first couple of seasons, oh, which I was gosh. very surprised by because yes, same I've here. always been a big <laughs> old Republican and thought it's a <laughs> nonsense institution. And I ended up feeling such kind of sympathy and understanding for the Queen's role and because she's such a private person and has had such a sense of beauty, it kind of felt like you were kind of understanding a little bit of kind of what, what was going on. But now... All of that stuff's so in the public eye and all of it's so kind of present that it doesn't feel like a need to watch it. I, I think if, if I can think of a episode uh, that really affected me, actually, uh, Professor Bash, and, and it had to be the one um, of the that's, that small town which was buried uh, in that... Abertan. Yeah, Abertan, Abertan, that yeah. mining accident. I mean, I was mm-hmm. shocked, dismayed. I thought it was beautifully done. Um, I mean, is that, is that something you'd agree with? I, I, I do agree. And I think um, the idea that we, the early seasons worked so well, because as uh, your co-presenter has pointed out, we know so little about the Queen. She, you know, she was with us for 70 years as our monarch, but we still didn't really ever feel like we knew the real her. And... The Crown seemed to offer us a chance to peek behind the curtain a bit and maybe have an idea of what she might be have been like behind closed doors. But we don't get that in the later season of The Crown because really what Peter Morgan has done is to strung together uh, a number of vignettes that are based on the paparazzi photographs of the week that Diana oh, died. Well. Oh, well, Gazelle, it's back to below deck Mediterranean for me. <laughs> <laughs> Alone, season seven. <laughs> Hey, it's a two-part. Maybe the second lot's good. Yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, Thank you, Gazelle. Uh, And Amy Hines, you've been fantastic on the show. We'll get you back. Uh, Simon Pound, same to you. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thank you to Andrew Williams, my producer, back tomorrow at 3.45. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next.